This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. And today we're going to talk about a murder trial uh, that captured the imagination of the country uh, last year, uh, in fact earlier this year, and uh, that uh, most people will have heard of, if not known uh, the precise details. The, I suppose that it comes under the heading of the Mr. Moonlight trial, Mr. Moonlight um, was the victim uh, of a murder, a particularly gruesome murder, and the story behind it is, uh, I suppose you could say, um, illuminates a hidden Ireland, uh, and uh, in this case it involves, it's set in Tipperary, and a new book has just been published by Penguin. Uh, It's called... uh, the Murder of Mr. Moonlight. And Catherine Fagan is a journalist from the Daily Mail who wrote this book. It's absolutely compulsive reading, as I know, because my wife wouldn't let me anywhere near it. Uh, but I did get it in the end. Catherine, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for doing it. Uh, this story, uh, most people will have heard of it, of the trial and indeed uh, the conviction uh, of the murderer. Um, tell us where uh, we need to start to understand this story because there are a number of, of key uh, characters uh, and the, the accused, of course, found guilty in the end after a long trial. Yeah, I suppose just to recap, the story really concerns Mary Laurie. She was a mother of three from Tipperary. Her Husband passed away in September 2007, so she was left a widow. And about three years after his death, um, she met Bobby Ryan. He was a truck driver and a part-time DJ known as Mr. Moonlight from Cashel. And they started a relationship. Um, but what Bobby didn't know at the time was that Mary was having or ha- was in the process of having a, a, a secret affair with her brother-in-law, Patrick Quirk, yes. who was also renting uh, her farm from her. Now the, the Pat Quirk and uh, Mary and their respective spouses uh, lived close together on very fertile land uh, in um, Tipperary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary's husband died of cancer uh, and then she became close 
uh, to pack work, yes? Yeah, so her husband was sick for a long time and um, during that period, um, you know, Mary needed extra help on the farm and Pat Quirk kind of stepped in and, and during that time helped helping her out. When her husband passed away, um, he began to, to lease the farm. He also sort of um, started to help her with some of the off-farm investments that her husband was involved in. So he was helping her on the farm. He was helping her with kind of like um, the... the, the the manly um, tasks that her husband would have had when he was alive. Um, she was obviously grief-stricken when her, when her husband passed away. Was very glad that somebody stepped in. Had no reason to really suspect that he had ulterior motives. Yes. Um, they got close um, and a physical relationship started. He used to come over to the farm every Friday. They'd meet in her bedroom when her sons were away at school. Um, and that relationship, that secret affair within the family continued for about three years and nobody knew. Yes, and um, he was a controlling character. He thought, he w- and he was in the neighbourhood, in the locality, um, a guy who knew things like contracts for difference. It, this was uh, an element of the Celtic Tiger phenomenon where you could, uh, if you were a shrewd man, as Pat thought he was. You could make a lot of money, but you could also lose a lot of money. Yeah, he was, a, you know, it's a high-stakes form of gambling, yes. CFDs. He had done some, Pat Quirk had done some introductory courses into financial investments, basic stuff. Yes. But saw himself as somewhat of a financial shark yes. and took it upon himself to, to direct Mary's finances to his own advantage. You know, yes. um, he was constantly asking her for money. He was using that money to, to invest in, in shares and stocks for himself and for her. She was giving him the money um, and she was his, his, his cash cow for a time until the point where, you know, she meets Bobby Ryan, her confidence grows, she's not as vulnerable anymore and she starts to say no and he's yes. not happy at all. And we should point out that uh, Imelda Quirk, Pat Quirk's wife, was um, Martin's younger sister. In other words, uh, Mary's uh, deceased husband's sister. Yes, it's this extraordinary situation where you have this... Um, this affair, this illicit affair, but it's an affair within the family because you have yes. Mary and um, Pat's her her brother-in-law. There's Imelda, um, the the sister of Mary's deceased husband, and all the sort of issues that come with that. Um, and Mary knew that if news of the affair within the family became known, it was going to be catastrophic for everybody involved. You know, there were children, there were cousins, there were brothers, there were sisters. And there was land. There was land. And, you know, in Ireland, the obsession with land and owning land, um, you know, we all know about, you know, the, the ties to the land. And with Pat Quirk in particular, you know, he had he had grown up on a farm. He had four sisters. They'd all gone to boarding school, but he had to look after the farm um, when his father became ill. And he was forced into a life on the farm. And, but he saw Mary's farm in another part of Tipperary. They're, they're not far apart. Um, and her farm was located on a very, very fertile patch of land. Yes. There, there were two quarries located next to the farm. And underneath Mary's farm, there was a, a lot of sand. So it was a quarryman's dream. 
it was valued at around three million euro at the height of the boom. Yes. And Pat Quirk knew that. So his, her farm was more valuable than his. Um, and there's never, never a suggestion that, you know, he wanted to take ownership of the farm, but he knew that perhaps she, she might sell it at some point. Yes. And there was, there was more money in it for him. He was well known around the locality as a, 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 um, a man of some substance, a bit of a know-it-all. If you wanted advice, maybe you might go to Pat. Yes. Well, I spent a lot of time in Tipperary during the research for the book, um, yes. in particular at weekends. And obviously he was very well known because because he was, he was on trial for murder at the time. Uh, but as I spoke to people who knew him, um, they talked about a man who, as you say, was in everything but the crib, yes. um, <laughs> to coin a phrase. Um, he was involved in the local farmers' discussion group. He was involved in the um, parent-teacher council with the school. He was a regular mass goer. Um, and he liked to think he knew it all. Like yes. I say, he used to advise people on their finances. Um, a number of farmers, you know, were called uh, situations where he would call them up in the middle of the night, um, encouraging them to invest money, putting pressure on them to invest money. Yes. Um, like I say, he had sort of cast himself as a bit of a financial shark. Um, but it, people described him as a gruff character, not somebody who socialised. You never see him in the local pub having a pint. Right. Kept himself to himself. And it was always Pat and his wife Imelda. They were very much a team, always yes. seen together. And um, his aspirations in li- life were always to um, sort of vie for the bigger and the better farm, yes. more money, yes. um, more influence. And of course, uh, Mary was vulnerable um, after the passing of her husband. And he ex- exploited that situation uh, in various ways, financial and um, emotional, shall mm-hmm. we say. Uh, now, um, Mr. Moonlight enters, very popular man, uh, and Bobby Ryan was his name. He did a bit of DJing. Uh, he was a lovely guy, uh, by all accounts, two children uh, and grandchildren as well. Um and I suppose the polar opposite uh, to uh, Quirk, to Pat Quirk. You had the absolute and, antithesis of, of Pat Quirk, yeah. And Mary met him on a night out. Mm. Tell us about that. Yes, so um, there's this social dancing scene, which is very popular in Tipperary and Limerick and Cork at the time, anyway, in yes. 2008. and. Um, you know, big bands like um, you know John Denver and um, the Indians would 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 do sessions in various pubs. And one of the locations or venues for one of these nights was in the um, the Times Hotel in Tipperary Town, which is no more. But at the time, um, Mary would have went there the, uh, on the odd occasion with with a friend for a quiet drink, and she loved music. Yes, and this is what the, you know the common ground she had with Bobby Ryan. She absolutely loved music. She loved live bands. She was a big fan of the Indians. So. Uh, one night in 2010, in August, um, she heads off for Chinese with her friend yes. Eileen. Um, and she'd known Eileen for years. Her husbands had known each other. So Eileen knew she was kind of at a low point um, after her husband's death and thought she'd take her friend out for a night on the town. So yes. they go, they have the Chinese, they 
put their glad rags on, their dancing shoes on, and they head to the Times Hotel um, and they pick a quiet spot at the bar because um, they don't want any attention. Yes. Um, but Bobby Ryan is a regular at the Times Hotel and he spies Mary at the bar yes. and makes a beeline for her, introduces himself and asks her to dance. And that is how they connect on that right. first night. Yes. And um, there's a scene in the book where they have this dance on the dance floor and um, Eileen's watching from the sidelines and she says she's never seen Mary so happy because um, she's obviously been grieving for so long yes. and she has a connection with them. They seem to really get on. They have the love of music and um, have a bit of crack at the bar. They exchange numbers and from there, the relationship sort of develops. Yeah. yeah. And of course, uh, Pat Quirk knew nothing about this or did he? Well, or did he become aware? Of he it? becomes suspicious. He kind of knows that Mary, Mary likes to go dancing. Um, he's not into dancing himself, um, and of course, the relationship between him and Mary is secret. So she does does her own thing. He he thinks that Bobby's just one of her dancing friends. Yes. You know, um, it's a big scene. There's loads of them on it. They're all middle aged. A lot of them separated, divorced. Um, yes. So he doesn't doesn't really suspect anything really until he overhears um, a conversation at a family gathering, actually a Lowry family gathering, um, at which Mary's present and he's there with his wife Imelda. Um, somebody asks Mary about, about her weekend, and she mentions that she's been out um, on a night dancing in Cashel, I think it was, and the penny drops with him because he be- believes she was somewhere else or she told him she was somewhere else. Right. He becomes suspicious about, about where she is or what she's doing. Um, and on foot of that, he takes her phone on another occasion a short while after, um, takes her phone and checks her messages and discovers a slew of right. messages from Bobby Ryan and yeah. uh, the cat's out of the bag effectively. Um, and on that occasion, he, he actually texts Bobby and says, I'm the man. This yeah. all came out in court. And uh, Bobby, I think, I think Bobby phones him. Um, yeah, Bobby phones him and he said, I'm the man. And all of a, all of a sudden, Bobby knows about this yes. secret affair. Right. So um, all three p- parties effectively are um, in the know about what's going on. Um, Imelda, no. Packer's wife. Maybe we don't know that. Imelda didn't know about the affair until March 2012. Um, you would have your suspicions, though, because obviously you have a situation where um, these are two families who live closely together. He's going yes. off at the weekend telling his wife he's on business. Her sister-in-law, who lives lives in a farm close by, is also away at the same time. Right. This happened on a number of occasions, so... Yeah. You know, we yeah. can speculate perhaps, but she didn't know apparently that um, there was an affair going on. I think they were quite good at hiding it. Um, but certainly by December um, 2010, Bobby knew about it. And this is where the whole thing sort of gets very, very dramatic. Um. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, at a certain stage, Pat Quirk decides to murder uh, Bobby Ryan. Um, was there a particular uh, a, a catalyst for that? Uh, was it to do with money or was it to do with emotions? Because he's made a big move now. This is, which proves fatal, of course, mm. for Bobby Ryan. Uh, I, I think um, perhaps the catalyst for it was um, that he, so he knows about the affair um, and himself and Bobby have this meeting in the Hayes Hotel um, to sort of clear the air between the two men, this extraordinary right. meeting of the love rivals. Yes. Mary's there with them, which is even more bizarre. Um, and they have this this tete-a-tete, she's there, she doesn't say much. Um, and what didn't come out in court, court about that meeting is that at that point, you know, um, Bobby says to Pat, we're doing nothing wrong here. I'm single and she's single. You're the married man. If you if you don't, you know, stop yes. this, because he's giving her a bit of hassle at that stage. If you don't stop this, um, I'm going to tell your wife. Yes. About the affair. Right. Um, and Cork doesn't like this at all because no, he's no. always in control and he controls everything. So... You have that backdrop um, and then we move into January, February, March. Um, he's a number of financial problems. Um, he's in a precarious financial position. She's not giving him money anymore. Um, yes. So that's a problem. Um, she's also doing her own thing. She's clearly in this relationship. She's not telling... She's given her confidence. To someone else. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, he doesn't know where she's going, what she's doing. Um, their Their relationship has ceased. And he kind of becomes like almost like the stalker. Um, he's he's watching where she's going. Um, he's in and out of her house. He's got a key. Um, she catches him behind the, the door one day after returning from a walk, and she you know she says to him, "What are you doing here?" He says, "You've left it, you know the door open." She says, "No, I didn't." You know because yes. she's conscious now that somebody's creeping around, um, right. and she starts to question her own mind. So um, and. Then the, the house alarm's gone off like sem- 17 times over the past two years. Because yes. he's in and out, she's prowling around. So she decides to install CCTV cameras. Right. Uh, and he doesn't know, obviously. Right. 
And that's the point where she catches him on two occasions try, trying to get into the house. He ca- she catches him um, at the washing line handling her underwear. Yes. That all came out in court, all these salacious details. Um, and um, sh- she knows that he's up to no good. Um, the guards get involved. Um, he's taken in for questioning about burglary, actually. Um, and he's interviewed. And, you know, he makes up all sorts of ex- excuses for act- his activity. Um, you know, he says that his mother-in-law, she's living in the granny flat next door. Right. And that was his, his excuse for being in a night. Yes. Um, but she's very uncomfortable in any case. And... Um, at that point, um, she says to her solicitor, well, the guards actually wanted to press charges. They're like, we've caught him on camera. We have, you know, yes. evidence that he's broken into your home or whatever. And um, she said, no, um, you know, she's aware of the repercussions within the family. And yes, she decides, dogs yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just use my solicitor to yes. terminate the lease. Right. He's murdered Bobby Ryan at this point. Right. Now, tell us about, as I understand it, um, Bobby Ryan would sometimes stay with Mary overnight and then he'd slip out before the kids woke up uh, and he'd go off. Uh, So it was on one such night, uh, at the end of the night, he comes out around 4 or 5, 6 a.m. and Quirk kills him. Yeah. Yeah, that's in... Um, How did he murder him? It's in June. We're talking about June tw- 2011. So like you say, um, Bobby and Mary had this arrangement where he would stay the odd night. Um, he would always leave in the early hours of the morning so the kids wouldn't know yes. he was there. Um, so on one of these occasions, he goes over to Mary's house um, and um, he stays the night, um, gets up the next morning, he used to go to work. He's a job. He's a truck driver, so he's leaving early. And he always parks his van in this particular location on the farm, away from the view of the kids yes. or the granny flat. As you know, Mary's yes. mother-in-law is still living um, close by, so she's conscious of that. And he sets off to go to the van. Mary recalls that you know she would usually hear the sound of his van rolling over the cattle grid in the mornings when he leaves and she recalls that it takes him, it takes her a bit longer yes. to hear that that morning. But in any case, he said, he's walked out of the house that morning and Quark has been lying in wait um, and he strikes him um, in and around the, the farm area um, places his body. This is the theory the guards have in any case that he's struck in and around the farm area places his body in this underground tank um, just behind the cattle crush, quickly jumps into the Mr Moonlight van, drives it down the road um, and to um, a wooded area known as Bansha Woods and leaves it there. Right. He then makes his way through the woodland area um, in sort of like a concealed route. Nobody would have really seen him. Um, back to the far, farm where he had his own vehicle hidden um, mm. and... He goes back to his, his own house. He's gone away for the weekend. It's his, his wife's birthday. Um, and Bobby Ryan doesn't turn up for work, of course, right. that morning. Um, and his boss becomes concerned and contacts his son. Um, he was a very punctual worker. So yes. it was very, very unusual for him not to show. Um, so Bobby's 
son and daughter start calling him. They're not getting any answers to the mobile. Um, they go to, to his workplace. They start searching. Um, they contact Mary. Mary said, you know, when I heard him leave this yes. morning, he stayed here the night before. So this massive search begins. And it's a search that goes on for 22 months yes. because Bobby Ryan's treated as a missing person. Yes. And the only person who knows he's not a missing person is the person who killed him, Patrick yes. Quirk, and he's hidden him on Mary's farm in this concealed um, underground tank that, you know, there was a very small um, club of people who knew about the tank. Um, Mary's husband was one yes. of them. Um, and her and Martin, Martin was Mary's husband, Martin's two brothers and Pat Quirk. Right. And so he, he places the body in this tank um, and he seals the tank shut and he puts a number of bales over the tank. Um, so when the days that, that follow Bobby's disappearance, when Gardy are up at that farm, you know, looking for a body or looking for signs, signs that yes. p- perhaps, you know, he'd fallen or, or injured himself, they don't see the tank. And right. Pat Quirk's asked about tanks. There's, there's two other slurry tanks on the farm and they're searched. They were searched. And, you know, um, Pat was asked, is, is this, you know, are these the only two tanks on the farm? And he says, yeah, that's it. Yes. So nobody knows about this underground tank, which is effectively, a, you know, a, 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 an underground coffin um, where the body's hidden. And like I say, it stayed there for, for 22 months. At a key moment, Pat Quirk, uh, sensing danger, uh, discovers the body. Yes. Um, after Bobby disappears, um, Pat thinks he's going to rekindle his relationship with Mary. Right. Um, he thinks they're going to get back into the old way of things. And she does go and meet him, I think, on one, on one occasion that she's admitted to. Um, they go to a hotel in Kalini. Um, she said, you know, her reasons for doing that, she doesn't really know. know. She just kind of did, did it. Get did him off she her suspect case. Uh, that Patrick was responsible? She did. She yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, she did. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a- after she revealed that they referred to the guards that she sort of expressed those suspicions. At that point, though, they, they don't have a body. There's no yes. sign of the crimes taking place. Yes. So there's very little they can do. Um, they, they probably they have their, their suspicions as well. Um, but the relationship is not rekindled. In fact, she takes up with someone else at a later point. Yes. Um um, he's not get. He's still not getting his money, um, and she's moved on, as I say. And things become really toxic between them. I've talked about the CCTV and all of that. Um, he has this tragic episode where his son dies in the middle of it all, and then he starts to become really erratic um, in terms of the visits to the farm and trying to find out what she's doing. And again, she contacts the guards, and then she decides right. Only way I can get rid of this guy is by getting him off the farm, by terminating the lease. And this is when he knows he's in trouble. Right. Because effectively a new tenant's going to come onto the farm. And find He knows that, that, yeah, yeah, that the new farm is probably going to start the milking parlour up. Yes. Um, The underground tank is is where the waste water from the milking parlour would go. So the new farmer's going to open up that tank and discover the body. And he needs to maintain control of the situation. So he decides to stage this elaborate discovery right. of the body. Now, the guards uh, press charges. What led them? Was there any forensic, was there any forensic evidence? Uh, no, nothing. There's no forensics. This is um, 
a solely circumstantial case. So they have no murder weapon. They have no exact time or date for the murder. Yes. They only know when he went missing. The deity went missing. Um, they have no forensics because the body is so decomposed when it's found right. 22 months later. Um, um, so they've very little direct and evidence. And it was a lot of diligent work by local guards, mm. uh, I understand. Yeah, so it was a long, long inquiry um, and it took them a long, long t- time to eventually um, charge Pat Cork with murder Um there were years and years of work because, as I said, they have no direct evidence, which makes their work very, very difficult. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because, um, like you said, there's a local uh, guarder who's who's heading up this investigation, um, Detective Inspector Paddy O'Callaghan. He's a really interesting character in all of this because he had spent a lot of time in Limerick um, working as, as a detective. He'd done a lot of work with you know, investigating the Dundon and McCarthy gangs, yes. hardened criminals. Yes. He comes back to Tipperary to take up a new role in the local Garda station and a couple of, you know, minor um, incidents before this and then he gets this body in the tank. Right. And he knows Pat Quirk because they've gone to the same school together. He knows Imelda, he knows Mary, he knows the whole lot of them. So yes. they all know, know each other. Um so you can imagine the difficulties that brings in a small place like Tipperary Town. But he also knows that he needs to get certain people on side um, to help him, you know, get the evidence yes. that he needs against Quirk and himself. And I think there's four or five of them. They all work together, local, small local team, piecing together all of the evidence here. Most of it's based on um, interviews, um, circumstantial evidence. Um, and building up this picture of what happened is actually like a story that they needed to get all the puzzles of. Of course, yeah. yeah. So what um, proposition did they lay before the jury? The prosecution case was that um, Patrick Quirk had murdered his love rival in this desperate bid to rekindle his relationship with Mary Laurie. Now, most of it, um, in court was centred around um, the affair and the whole love and sex aspect of it, yes. to be honest. Um, less so much about the financial um, yes. gains that he would he would get. Um, they never set out an exact um, sequence of events that how morning did, because they couldn't. What was his demeanour like in court and how did he stand up to cross-examination? Um, he... Throughout, because throughout the trial, yeah. I know he and his wife continued. Mm. He was on bail, so they continued to go out yeah. and be seen around the town, having meals and uh, mixing. He was, you know, um, the same throughout. The same character, just um, expressionless, blank, very seemed very detached. Um, and, you know, you study these people, you look at them every day, you tend, tend to look at the accused every day. And there was never, ever any hint of emotion. Even when Mary took the stand, four days she was on the stand, there was nothing from yes. him. Um, his wife's there, obviously, she's taking him in every day to court. Um, um, nothing, no real emotion there. There was only one day you saw a flicker of something within Pat Quirk in court. And that was when one of Mary Larry's sons took the stand was Jack Larry and Jack had been very close to Pat's son Alan. Yes. And Alan had sadly passed away when he was eleven and um 
during the time he was given evidence, Jack talked about his relationship with Alan and how Pat and Alan and Jack all used to play together on the farm. And you could see, you know, I remember looking over at Pat Quirk at the time and it was the first time he saw a flicker of something. Obviously, he was talking about the, son, the death of his son. Um, his lips started to tremble. He almost nearly cried, but then quickly gathered it himself again and yes. went back to the same old... And the key... Uh, element in the case uh, for the prosecution was that um, on his computer he'd searched um, for uh, information about how bodies decompose uh, and that certainly was... Now, he argued that he'd um, uh, undertaken that search to find out about his own son's death and how that might be. And that was probably the most tangible piece of evidence, was it? That uh, uh, decomposition and murder uh, and all of that uh, was something he shouldn't have been interested in to that yeah. extent. Yeah, so this was a very cunning man. He thought he would outfox the guards, thought he was smarter than everybody else, but um, he had been Googling very specific information on his right. computer um, and deleting the search records, but we all know um, when you delete it, it's not really deleted. No, um, And <laughs> <laughs> the guardy were able to recover those searches. Um, and like I said, very specific searches, searches for um, body decomposition timelines, um, um, he had been viewing videos about how bodies decompose, really gruesome kind yes. of stuff. And um, there were a number of searches over a period of time. Um, and in particular, there was one day, one, one of the days he had um, tried to gain entry to Mary's house. He had gone back to the house, his own house, and done all these searches on that date. Um, and later in the process of the investigation, you know, the, the guards have all this computer evidence Um you know, he's he's looking he's looking up all this googling mm. he's googling all this decomposition stuff because he wants to know what state the body's in yes. in the tank before he yes, opens it. Yes, of course, and that was probably the strongest piece of yeah um, circumstantial evidence offered. Oh yeah, it was one of the one of the and you could see the reaction from the jury that day when when yes. that came out. It yes. was a pretty significant day, and um, it's put to him in interviews later on. You know, the guards say, "You know, we've looked at your computer, Pat, and we we, we can see that you're googling all this stuff." And, um, and he says, "Well, you know, my son has just died because yes. he's an answer for everything, and he's the one who draws his dead son into this. You yes, know, it's not indeed. the guards; he does it." And then they say, "Well, you know what, Pat? We've gone back and checked the dates before your your son's death, and you were doing it back then, right. and he's nothing to say." Okay, so. Uh, in the uh, the judge, uh, in her uh, instructions to the jury, uh, how did that play? Uh, was it possible uh, when she was giving instructions to the jury uh, to um, deduce anything about her attitude? You know what? It was a really lengthy trial. It was 15 weeks. A lot of that was actually dedicated to legal argument, which is heard in the absence of the jury, yes. because the the judge, judge was so careful with this, this case, in that she wanted she wanted to allow the defence in particular to have the time to iron out any issues they had and to sort of limit, I suppose, the scope for an appeal. Yes, there has been appeal since. Yes. Uh, very very careful, I have to say, with all of that, and you know, while at times for people and. 
involved in the case, it was frustrating because it was all this time for legal argument. It closed down a lot of issues. Um, right. And then her summing up, which everybody expected to be longer than it was, she obviously went through the whole issue of circumstantial evidence and explained that all um, to the jury. But there was there was no sort of, sort of indication about which mm. way you know they should go, which she shouldn't do not, no. anyway. Um, so when she was finished her summing up, um, you just didn't, we didn't really know which way it was going to go. And still at that point, um, in spite of seeing all the circumstantial evidence, which was really, really strong, there was a big, big um, fear that it mightn't have been enough. Yes, because and the, the jury deliberated for quite some time. It was over 20 hours. Right. Um, so over the space of a week with those those yes. hours broken up. Um, and, you know, obviously they were initially asked to come back with a unanimous verdict. And, the, you know, after a couple of days, they hadn't got to that point. And they were directed to come back with a majority, majority verdict. It was very would be 10 to, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was 10 to in the end. It was very, very short, shortly after that direction that they came back with the guilty verdict. Um, and, um, you know, it's this, the scenes actually in court that day were quite muted because it had been so was long, Mary I think. There? No, she was not there. No, no she wasn't there. Did she attend the trial? She didn't. She gave evidence for those um, first four days in January and then she had to come back in March yes. to give evidence about um, re- recordings that had been found on, on Quark's Yes. laptop intimate recordings of her yes. and her, her, her yes. and him and we didn't see Mary again after that now I know she was informed that day about about the verdict um, pretty quickly but she, and she didn't and in sentencing uh, Pat Quirk uh, what did the judge say and how long was he sentenced for he th- we had victim impact a victim impact statement from Michelle Ryan um, which was all done on the one day by the way this yes. was done on the day he was he was um, given convicted, given his verdict. Um, Michelle was Mr. Moonlight's Michelle, daughter. Sorry, yes. Michelle was yes. Mr. Moonlight's daughter, and she took the stand and she had a prepared statement, very emotionally. You know, talked about her father and what they'd lost uh, um, since his death. Um, it was all about him. She didn't mention Pat Quirk once. Right. You know, yes, and it was a pointed um, non-reference to him. Um, and by that point, you know, he'd come back into court for his sentence and his wife, Imelda, Imelda had left. Yes. Um, she'd gone. He had no supporters in the room at all. Um, and he'd come back in for a sentencing. And um, you know, there was no comments really from the judge apart from the sentence, which was mandatory life um, in prison. Was a time specified that he should serve? No, no, no time specified. And, you know, in Ireland... Um, and, and he did appeal. He did appeal. There's an appeal pending. There's an appeal pending. Yes. Which doesn't prevent us talking no. about it. No. <laughs> no. So there's an appeal pending. Um, the details have not been lodged um, with the court service. Right. But it will have to be on a point of law. So, so it'll be interesting to see on what point of law he will appeal. Because like I say, um, all the legal issues were aired at le- length during the trial. So um, let's For wait and see. For the purposes of writing the book, uh, mm. Catherine, did you go back to the locality... And what was the mood or sentiment among the people in that uh, country setting? Yeah, so um, I would go to the trial, the trial, sorry, um, Monday to Friday, and then I would go to tip, tip at the weekends um, or if there's any breaks in between. So I spent a lot of time down there and 
I'll be honest, initially, initially people were very reluctant to so, sort of talk about this. So it took a long time to gain the trust of people. Um, but that's what, what happens with most of these stories. Yes. Um, I became close to a number of people who were very close to Pat Quirk at one point um, or some of the family members. And in the end, when it was all over, to be quite honest, people were just so relieved that this man was yes. off the streets there yes. because it's a local place. The story affected all yes. of them. Um, so for them, you know, his conviction, his sentence, and that was the final chapter. Right. Okay. I must say it's a fascinating book uh, and an extraordinary story um, with some extraordinary characters in it. It's called The Murder of Mr. Moonlight. It's published by Penguin Books. Catherine Fagan is the author and it's a very, very absorbing and engrossing read. Uh, And it's actually what you call a page turner. So if you want to buy a book for Christmas or indeed uh, if you're planning to do certain things uh, you can learn a lot from this book uh, Catherine I shouldn't be laughing I know it's improper um, in such uh, tragic circumstances but thank you very much for telling us all about it and good luck with the book thank you thanks for having me thank you I'd like to thank uh, you for listening Catherine for coming in to talk to us and it is a, a really really good book uh, that tells you a lot about the human condition and Ireland and we'll be back with you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.